You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. So I want you to come into your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses, we're going to start at verse 12, and I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. I love the Passion Translation. I'm not sure the media guys were able to get that. That's okay, Um, because I'm going to be doing a little bit of narrating, okay? And I'm going to help us understand this, and then I'm going to unpackage it, okay? I'm going to have a little water here. All right. You ready? It says, then Jesus turned to his host and said, when you throw a banquet, don't just invite your friends, relatives, or rich neighbors, for it's likely they will return the favor. It's better to invite those who never get an invitation Invite the poor to your banquet, along with the outcast, the handicapped, and the blind, those who could never repay you the favor. Then you, everyone say you, you. will experience a great blessing in this, everyone say this, in this life, and at the resurrection of the godly, you, everyone say you, you, will receive a full reward. And when they heard this, one of the dinner guests said to Jesus, someday God will have a kingdom feast and how happy and privileged will be the ones who get to share in that joy. Well, wouldn't that have been awesome in a perfect world? If people truly had that revelation. But Jesus, who really knew the reality of this typical scenario then and how it plays out even today, he could see the writing on the wall, okay? So he replied with this parable. There was a man who invited many. Many meaning pretty inclusive, okay? This wasn't just the Fortune 500, okay? This wasn't the top 20% crushing it in the marketplace, okay? If we were to put it in today's time, it's probably some My City youth, maybe some young adults. Maybe some single parents, perhaps some stay-at-home moms. He invited them to join him in a great feast. And when the day for the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, come, for everything is now ready for you. See, the meal was ready, okay? This wasn't a potluck, okay? It was prepared by the host ahead of time. Nothing they had to earn, but simply RSVP yes to the invitation. But then the refusals start pouring in. One by one, they all alike, like-minded, probably like the Me Too generation of today, started making excuses. One said, I can't come. I just bought some property and I'm obligated to go and look it over. All right. I'm going to give this guy a little benefit of the doubt because that was probably a very culturally natural excuse then for that type of transaction. But somehow it seemed to seep into the culture of the church today as well. Even though the word of God says, build my house and I'll build yours. See, Jesus uses the parable to reveal the guest priorities and that something else was more important and took precedence over this celebration. 
And I'm going to tell you why that was a lame excuse in just a moment. Another said, please accept my regrets, for I just purchased five teams of oxen, and I need to make sure they can pull the plow. So he has five teams of oxen. Classic. Thank you. He has five teams of oxen. So this shows me this man was probably really rich or very wealthy. Again, Jesus uses the parable to reveal that the wealth or whatever made that man wealthy also took priority over the celebration or perhaps the blessing was more important than the blesser. I can feel it. I'm challenging some people. You're a little quiet. You can level, you can raise that up just a little bit. I'm preaching to myself too. Don't feel bad. Another one said, I can't come because I just got married. Lame. This is lame. I mean, has this guest never read the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four where it says two are better than one? Do they just bypass over the book of Deuteronomy that says one can put thousands of flight, two can put tens of thousands of flight? I mean, how do you have twice the team and half the commitment? They don't even have kids. Thank you. Priorities still happens today. So the servant reported back to the host and told him of all their excuses. So the master became angry and said to his servant, go at once throughout the city and invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting, and the lonely, and invite them to my banquet. When the servant returned to his master, he said, sir, I've done what you've asked, but there's still room for more. So the master told him, all right, go out again, and this time, bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars on the streets, the outcasts, even the homeless. Urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. See, I love this about Jesus. He was indifferent to who filled his house. It didn't matter their professional status, their age, their ability, their ethnicity, their education, their income bracket, their popularity, their ministry position, their personality type, their attractiveness, or at what point they RSVP'd yes to the invitation. Because Jesus had to help them understand, and I think he needs to help some of us understand tonight, that they, they had to be very careful not to assume that the people most fit to build the kingdom look the most like us. See, everything in the kingdom to God is an equal opportunity with equal representation. That's why we don't all give the same, but there's equal sacrifice. See, even those who were first in line missed the celebration because they said no to the invitation. See, Jesus' priority was to fill his table, and it's still his priority to fill his house. So there wasn't a temporal delay in advancing the kingdom through this invitation. Lastly, he says, I say to you all, the one who receives an invitation to feast with me and makes excuses will never enjoy my banquet. 
how sad that some who appeared, even those who were first to be in line, missed the meal by choice. So when the time of celebration arrived, they refused the invite. The meal had been prepared. They were in line for divine blessing. If God could have looked down, he would have said, you're in, you're in the perfect spot. Don't move. But then they failed to step forward to be engaged with the divine promise. All they needed to do to experience the blessing of God's kingdom was RSVP yes to this invitation. And it's crucial to understand that the party still goes on. It's not postponed. Others are invited to take their place. Opportunities been lost by some who excuse themselves. Grace has been extended to others, but the meal is still served. See, that's why I think Matthew 22, 14 says, many are called, invited, says Jesus, but few are chosen, few choose to come. See, everybody's welcome at the table, but the kingdom, as represented by this banquet feast, does have some conditions. You gotta be hungry. You're gonna be invited to a feast. And you gotta have some faith. I mean, I think if you're blind, crippled, or lame, it's gonna take some faith to grab a four-legged Uber and go to this feast. Just saying. See, the invitation's free. But when we RSVP, yes, we have to be prepared. And I think that's what weighed on the minds of some of our friends who had excused themselves. Then when we sit at that table, that table is going to change us. So tonight I want to help us identify some of the reasons we might find ourselves declining or perhaps having some reservation toward that invitation. I've never declined the invitation, but I've had periods of reservation so tonight I want to share around how I stepped into living in the realm of the impossible and the supernatural so that when this invitation comes around again as it pertains to us stepping into Vision Builders 2019, we don't miss it. Because just like the passage of Scripture demonstrated, there's still room. The title of my message tonight is The Invitation is Still Open. How are we doing? You guys are quiet. All right. The first area I believe that keeps most of us from advancing is that we choose fear over faith. So you know what? We're always going to have to deal with fear on every level. But it, the problem is when it gets the, to be the predominant voice in our life. You know, I had a 16-year career in nursing. So I'm very familiar with the world of science and psychology that endorses that fear is actually a perceived feeling that's consciously, meaning realistically, perceived, a perceived feeling that's consciously recognized as a perceived threat. Literally, that's the definition. And when one acts on that perception, over time, it becomes a belief system, translates into their behavior, and then that behavior begins to manifest into their life. So we often hear that acronym, false evidence appearing real. 
So fear is actually the perceived reality that turns into a belief system that what hasn't happened yet will happen. I like my friend, Mark Twain. He said, he put it like this. He said, I've been through some terrible things in my life, a few of which actually happened. Can I say fear is not a feeling, fear is a spirit? And that's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If we make fear king, it will force us to live by and within the boundaries set by unbelief. But here's the good news, friends. Faith is also believing that what hasn't happened yet will happen. You know, I think part of the definition of faith that most people miss is believing that God is a rewarder. Hebrews 11:6 says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, I think those people who initially accepted the invitation but refused could have been but God people. They could have actually stepped into the realm of the impossible if they'd responded in faith. But somehow they got stuck in a me too game because I believe a spirit of fear took over. Fear will shut down the power of God, but faith will activate the power of God. See, I'm gonna tell you why that first excuse in this parable was a lame one, okay? You know that guy that excused himself to go close on his home? Lame. See, I'm gonna tell you about three years worth of real estate stories, okay? Meaning there was more than one home, okay? Just to show you, because I think that maybe this guy was afraid that the details of that transaction couldn't be taken care of if he went to this banquet. So I'm gonna tell you that from the very beginning, God began to push me past the point of uncomfortable from the beginning of my sewing in the Vision Builders. Every year, I doubled what I was getting. So the first year I started off with $5,000 and with my nursing career at that time, that was extra, but to be quite honest, wasn't a stretch. And then it went to $10,000 and then $20,000. Then I started to sweat. Then my pantalones started to get into a very tight wad. See, I'm like one of those people in the second or third tier of this banquet invitation. See, I'm highly unlikely. I mean, I'm a single girl. I'm the only one paying my bills. I come from a town so small that it has no latitude or longitude coordinates on a US map. <laughs> I was just grateful to make it out with a full set of teeth, to be quite honest. And even that took four years of braces. So here you go. I made it. I wasn't making a six-figure income. But at $20,000, things started to get a little bit uncomfortable because it was starting to push me out of the realm of possible. 
But when that $20,000 was fulfilled, it actually tipped me into a six-figure income. I remember calling Pastor John going, Pastor John, I'm making six figures. Woo! Why was I calling Pastor John? Because I was an intern making six figures. I was an intern. This is just going to get better. Um, remember, I was doubling every year. So what do you think happened next? The invitation comes around again. And now it's $40,000. But now I graduated to my big girl pants. So I said, God, if you're, if you're going to ask me to give that, that is impossible. But I'm a woman of my word. So you're going to have to do what I can't do. You're going to have to provide. And I really thought that I was doing a whole lot with that commitment. I mean, I was really proud of myself. And then I read Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. And the Lord speaks to me clearly and says, you're no longer a renter. You're a homeowner. I don't know what it is with reading Mark Batterson and buying homes, but I think Matt and Michaela have the same story. I don't know what it is. So I go and I start talking to my real estate agent. And we start looking at homes, and I get a little discouraged and try to shrink back, but then God just keeps putting it in front of my face. So I go back out and talk to my real estate agent again. And she tells me that there's a condo that's going to be a short sale, and it belonged to someone we knew personally who had actually started the process of a regular sale just to find out there wasn't a second but a third lien on her home from a fraudulent grant five years prior. And I knew this person, and I knew that they'd been very faithful with their financial dealings, and we would have to short sale or possibly foreclose this home, or we'd have to fight three banks that were involved. And now that I graduated to my big girl pants, you know, now I want a house. You know, so, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly about this condo and said, justice is going to be granted, and I'm going to need your assistance in this deal. So we went forward. The condo at that time was $260,000, and I offered low at $220,000. So now I pledge $40,000. I'm now um, in the buying a home for the first time. And now I have to convince three banks to accept my offer so that justice can be granted to my friend and I'm an intern. This is crazy. Good thing I have my faith pants on because I'm going to tell you, this is months of crazy. There was a lawyer involved who tried to convince us to be dishonest, but I clearly heard the Lord say, I will uphold the righteous with my right hand. So we all agree we didn't need to breach integrity to win and that God was on our side. So things got about as messy as they could get. And at every challenge, I declared that scripture and I fasted and I prayed until. Three days before this offer goes through, those three banks contacted my real estate agent and said, do not contact us again, we're foreclosing. But I felt to keep pressing in, fasting, and praying. I had committed to vision builders. I had responded in obedience, and I declared the word of the Lord. Three days later, 
interesting. A lot of things happen in three days. All three banks unanimously accepted my offer, even commenting, we do not know why we are doing this, but we will agree to a short sale of $240,000. So you remember the offer was for $220,000, and the original listed price was $260,000. So... I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or a mathematician to agree. If the sale was for $240,000, I walked into $20,000 of equity. The same amount of increase in my Vision Builders commitment that year. The devil is a liar, and we won. And my friend's credit was okay, and she was actually cleared to buy again once she was back in the market for a home but the story gets better. My life is like one big perpetual miracle, okay? <laughs> I'm not shy about it. So remember I pledged $40,000. Well, not only did I walk into $20,000 of equity, I paid in about $10,000 of that pledge at that point, maybe just a little under. And there was a family member who'd actually been against me at one point. They contacted me and told me that the Lord had put on their heart as they were praying to invest in someone who was advancing and building the kingdom. So they reached out to me and they knew that I faithfully pledged to vision builders every single year. And they literally asked me what the rest of that commitment was. Wow. They sent the funds directly in to fulfill that pledge. Jesse Sullivan knows that if he's in here somewhere. It was the most I had ever pledged and the least that personally came out of my pocket. But God, but God. We're not done. I love this, I just like showing God off. So within six months, I bought a brand new SUV. Within one year, God opened up an opportunity for a vacation home, which was paid for within six months. That SUV was also paid off. And then in 2017, I purchased my second home in San Diego. I purchased that home, single, in a seller's market where I was contingent on the sale of that condo. And any real estate agent knows that those offers aren't even entertained in that kind of market but I beat every single offer out every single time because of the favor of God that was on my life. And now I live in that beautiful home about five miles from our central campus. I closed on that home, just like our first guy who had excused himself. And I went straight to the banquet, to the Vision Builders dinner. And I paid my entire pledge as a first fruits offering off the proceeds of that home. So buying a new home, I actually, there were still some expenses that need to be covered and that, so there was still, I had no cushion, but you know what? God continued to provide and I broke yet another giving record and I ended up making about $20,000 more that year. This is all because I chose fear over faith and RSVP'd yes to that invitation. See, a bold confession of faith in any given situation is what attracts the miracle in any given situation. Mark 16, 20 says that God confirms his word by the signs that accompany it. 
See, the kingdom of God is not one of just talk, but of power. So I let faith do the talking, and I let the miracles demonstrate the power. The enemy can't get past the shield of faith. When we confess our faith and minister to ourselves of the word of God, miracles flow as we release power. We don't need to react in fear, but boldly confess God's nature, feed our hearts on his promises, ignite his power through activating his word, and we will boast in his absolute goodness. So let's talk about the second excuse. See, this wealthy man seemed to prefer taking care of his many oxen instead of accepting this invitation. See, this shows me this guest chose to sow towards his preference over his purpose, which illustrates a problem that still exists among the wealthy and the less wealthy today. See, the problem is not how much money we do or don't make. It's actually whether that money has us. See, if wealthy people don't have a purpose for their money, they're wasting their time and their money. And if less wealthy people don't need much money, then the common denominator in both scenarios is, is that it's all about them. See, in God's economy, it's actually okay to have money. But its purpose is to minister to people, so it stands in opposition to the economy of this world, which is reflected in our current social welfare system. Yeah, I'm going to go there. The world works the system. America used to be a can-do nation. But it's quickly become a what-can-you-do-for-me nation, which enables poverty mentality. So the church has to teach people to make their money work for the kingdom, then the kingdom goes to work for them. When we see money as just an aid, like we see in our current social welfare system, we see the redistribution of poverty. But when giving is not just a good work, it's actually a ministry, a gift, not to be used lightly, but be given liberally as the greatest expression of love, we see the redistribution of prosperity. We see the transportation of the gospel. We empower people to go from a what can you do for me people to a what can I do for you people. Instead of using our money to just protect ourselves, we start to protect other people. Why will we live for Saturday night when we can live for three generations? Wow. See, poverty is also a spirit that turns into a mindset. See, before poverty takes over a person's life, it takes over their mind. You can be broke for a season. We've all had circumstances like that. I've had them personally. But poor is a mindset. And it doesn't just manifest in people's finances, it actually manifests in every area of their life. You can't fix someone's finances or the areas of their life until you fix their mind. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 26, 11, the poor will be with you always. Because there's always gonna be people who have a poor or poverty mindset. But it's also why in the parable that I read earlier, Jesus includes the poor and the broken. How do we fix this, church? We have to talk about money in the church. We have to educate and teach people to become sowers. The antidote to poverty is giving. 
Whenever we give, we starve poverty and feed prosperity. Poverty dies, prosperity grows. You go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. How do we do that? Ephesians 4.22 says we have to see in the spirit of our mind. Because before something's born in your life, it's conceived in your mind. Romans 12.2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You have to live in the spirit of your mind, the place where you live in direct opposition of what you're seeing in the natural. You start to see from heaven. You start to hear from heaven. You start to think from heaven. It's a chirological thing where the spirit of God takes you from moment to moment, and these moments created in your mind give birth and come to full term fruition in the natural. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 draws a contrast to this mindset. And it draws a contrast from the believer to the unbeliever. It says, so with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you've really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle, the ancient man, the old self life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. How do I understand all this? I had to overcome levels of poverty mindset. Even up until last year. I told you I've been doing this nine years. So last year, I get my invitation very early in January. And some, of, some people may have heard the story of me giving and fulfilling $50,000 to Vision Builders last year at the Cherish Conference. And, but I'm going to recap it for you guys. But my initial thoughts in this invitation came were, God, if you want me to give 50 grand, I definitely need counseling. <laughs> I need counseling. How much is too much? I mean, that's ridiculous. But my other thoughts were, God, that's my whole life. If you're asking me to give that much, I'm going to have nothing. You know what? That was a poverty mindset. And I was deceived to believe that I would have to suffer if I gave that all away. And then God had to help me deal with that poverty mindset because it doesn't even make sense. How do I give away what I don't have? So I started a thought journal to isolate that thought because it wasn't from God. And I took captive that thought 
by replacing it with the Word of God. And I began to see in the spirit of my mind and then gave birth to it in the natural. I'm going to recap this story. So I gave God my word on his terms, but I had some terms of my own. I said, God, I'm going to pledge in faith. I'm going to budget. I'm going to do what I can do. Then I'm going to test you and try you out, just like your word says. And you're going to have to do what I can't do. So a few weeks before this vision builders dinner, all hell breaks loose in my life, okay? It's a level of adversity I had never experienced before. My biological mother, who um, has suffered with mental illness my entire life, um, I get a call at 5.30 in the morning from my brother that says that she had shot herself. My father has a nervous breakdown. I literally have to now come out of work to take care of family affairs. So now I have a $50,000 pledge I'm asked to give, but now I'm not even working. You know what? The devil tried everything that he could to back me down, every opportunity. But I rose up on a word from God. And let me tell you, I reached out to your campus pastors at that time in the morning. And because of a praying church, my mom survived. If it wasn't for this church, my mom wouldn't even be alive. And I made it to that Vision Builders dinner, actually. And I put my first fruits of that commitment in the ground in total peace that God would watch over his word to perform it. So the next day, God doesn't waste any time. Uh, I was getting ready to return to work. And at that point in my nursing career, I was nearly capped out on my nursing income, right? So I get a call with a contract that says that they'll pay me double what I'm making at that point. Remember, I was capped out. Within one week, three streams of income open up. I start a brand new business. Then I get forgiven of a $13,000 debt I just don't have to pay. And I got two additional checks that came in as benefits to help me with the time of my need for my mom. So much so that I paid 20% of that $50,000 in the first month not even working. Within three months, I completed that Vision Builders pledge. My new business that was in infancy grew three times. And then I started dating a very special guy. God is good. You know what? Even Joel lives in the realm of the impossible. Because <laughs> he likes to remind me all the time. He's like, Dana, if God gave me you, he can do anything. <laughs> God more than fulfilled everything that he promised. Last year, I ended up giving away 75% of my income and then now living on the leftovers because I decided not to rely on my ability but God's. Last year, I gave away what I was making when I first started C3 San Diego. I gave away 75% of my income working nine out of 12 months. So I wouldn't have been able to live off the 25% having a mortgage and living the kind of lifestyle that I got to live last year. 
So this is what God showed me. My nursing career did not provide for me. My God provided for me. See, God didn't provide according to my need. God's not really attracted to need. He's attracted to faith. So people, if they're wanting, they can, they can have multiple streams of income and still not be able to pay their bills. They believe that God just provides for their need. God provided according to my seed. My life didn't change until my seed did. My seed did not change until my mind did. I wanted a miracle harvest, so I sowed a miracle seed. And now I live according to my seed level. And you know what that seed did? It got me out of that nursing career. It was the first item of business on my vision card this year. I just stepped out of a 16-year career because I wanted to fully step into building my own dream with God and not somebody else's. I'm not really interested in what's happening in the traditional healthcare setting right now. As a church, can I encourage us to partner together, not just to meet our minimum requirement, expressing the love of God to this city? Let's give liber liberally according to the liberty that we've been given. The world responds to need. The kingdom of God responds to faith. Unlike the world's economy, which works in addition, God is the God of multiplication. The more we give away, the more we retain for the kingdom. Can we make a commitment not to just to let our lives be a river, not a reservoir? Money doesn't control us. We control money. If we stay focused on the blesser, we will stay blessed. So here again, the invitation comes around just a few months ago. And again, I'm reserved. Because I clearly asked God now to ask me to give just a little bit more. I was like, wow, God, that's been like nine years. Like, can I just have a break? Faith. Now, mind you, I've come out of healthcare. I have a business that's growing, but it's not where I want it to be yet. So the risk of giving away that kind of money are a bit higher now, not having that stable nursing income. And I always accept the invitation. But again, I held reservation briefly. Even though I saw God provide over and over and over again, there were more risks as I walked away from a six-figure income. And this was in obedience. God actually wanted to rest me for a little bit. But what led to the acceptance of that invitation was a provoking thought that God spoke to me one day. You know, I was thinking about yet another year of obedience. And one day I heard God speak to me and he said, Dana, you think you know who you are, but you've yet to know whose you are. See, if you truly knew more of my character, you wouldn't hesitate to give more. If you trusted me as your provider, You'd stop trying to be your own. See, this is another area I believe influences us accepting the invitation is, do we trust God to be our provider? See, at this point, 
A few months ago, I hadn't made that decision to walk away from my nursing career. So it had to show me that even though I had given on supernatural levels, I was still trying to be my own provider because there were still trust issues because part of his character that hadn't been revealed to me yet. And so after I heard that, I fasted and I prayed. And um, after that, I made the decision to walk away from that nursing career in total obedience. And I decided to trust him again. And one morning, he stimulates some thoughts. And um, I want to leave us with that tonight because it reignited that faith. So I didn't have the excuse like that last guest that was invited to that feast who was given more but had half the commitment. So one day, God speaks to me and he says, Dana, do you ever wonder why you tell me, God, maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, how you're going to spend my money. See, I've made you to be the lender on my tab. Deuteronomy 28, 12 says this, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land and its season to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. See, I think when God asks us to give, we have to recognize that everything that we have is borrowed from God. Then we recognize that we're subject to his rules, which are in direct opposition to the rules of the world's economy. But if we think it's actually ours to spend and disobey the borrower, we'll always be subject to the lender. God is our source. The less we need God because we trust our own resources and not his, the less we see God. And we don't have to know the how if we trust and we know the who. And we are the what. And God is the who and the how is up to him. Are we hesitant to accept the invitation because we don't trust God as our provider? This is what we can't miss, though. If you haven't noticed, the kingdom of God is a feast. Our lives are the party, and God loves to host them and set it up for us. We should act like it. That's why we come in church to celebrate. God means for our lives to be enjoyed. He's the God of laughter, full bellies, second helpings. David says in Psalm 1611, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? So maybe you have found yourself in fear and you need to overcome that spirit and get set free from it tonight. Maybe money has become your master and you have chosen your preference over your purpose. Maybe you are still dealing with a broke mindset because you grew up in a poverty mindset. Or you've been hanging around with your Me Too friends a little bit too long who have this fixed mindset and you're tired of the victim mentality and you want to do more with your life. Maybe you do have trust issues with God as your provider because you haven't surrendered all of you to him. But you know what? No matter where you find yourselves, the good news is tonight the invitation is still open. And there's a seat with your name on it.
We're going to go into a time of celebration. At East, I called it feast mode. We're getting ready to do that. We're going to turn this place into a full banquet feast. And after that, I'll have the ministry team come up. But I want to extend the most important invitation to some people here tonight. See, in that parable, when the master sent his servant out a second time, he sent him out into the highways and the byways because it represented the people who were furthest from him, the people who didn't even know him. And it also correlated to where Jesus told that jovial man in the beginning not to just invite people that could repay him, but the ones who couldn't. And that second invitation was to invite these people to participate in the feast to come in relationship with him. And then they too would have the same opportunity to be changed at that table. And that was the second in invite, but tonight it's going to be the first one. Because just like the Bible says, and I think it's so well illustrated in this parable, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.